Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we discuss Keep It on the Dot DLL, a look behind the scenes at the Solar Winds investigation. Next up, better regulate than never. What sorts of regulations will the U.S. impose on AI? And our fun game, Gold Guidance and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 155, recorded on May 22nd, 2023. I'm your co-host, Callie, supply, chain, 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 Fencil. With me is co-host Tim, a I caramba helming. And last but not least, Ian, not before my coffee, Campbell. What's going so on, Callie. everybody? Yeah. You know what the next line of your uh, your intro is? Chain of fools. Chain of tools. <laughs> oh, chain of tools. That would have been really good. <laughs> That's perfect. What's going Hello, on? Hello, Ian. Guys? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Or Happy are we Monday, are we hitting everybody. you before your coffee? Uh, just slightly after. So I'm I'm getting. Oh, thank there. goodness. Well, Ian, you're uh, you're an East Coaster like me, though. Haven't you had a couple cups of coffee by now? <laughs> a couple. And eventually, if we're all lucky, I'll have enough. <laughs> Somebody in my household, I don't remember who, used to have a coffee mug that had three graduated lines on it. And the one at the top said, shh. And the one in the middle said, Almost, and the one at the bottom said, "Now you may speak." I've seen that before. That's a good yeah. cup. Yeah, that that's the uh, the more optimistic version of my approach to <laughs> to both coffee and people. Really, there was a guy that I used to work with who had a coffee cup that was basically a significant sized bowl with a handle on it. I mean, it was enormous, uh, and he used to carry that thing around all day. Have you all ever seen um, So I Married an Axe Murderer? I have the, not. Oh, it's a great. Wow. It's that a, goes back. I, oh, so I was, I was a weird kid as a kid. So like that was like my favorite movie. And it's like the movie that I showed at like all the sleepovers that nobody really wanted to see as a 10 year old. <laughs> um, but like the opening of that is Mike Myers gets like a, a big coffee that's like essentially like a a bowl and he's like excuse me miss i believe i ordered the large cappuccino (laughs) (laughs) but anyway if you haven't seen that movie i know you have to still see mean girls tim i've seen about half of mean girls so far so i'm getting there wait how are you watching it in shifts well i i watched it on a plane so i but I didn't get all the way through it. And then I don't know what streaming service it's on. I got to figure that out and then would, steal my sister's credentials because it's undoubtedly on one of the ones that she has and I don't. What, what do you think so far? Oh, it was funny. Oh, good. Yeah, good, I, good. I, I get I knew, why. I knew I get you'd like it. All the references. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you should also watch my movie recommendation of today, which is. I will. So I, I will. I just, order. you know, I'll add it to the queue. <laughs> I've got some time off coming up. Maybe I can watch it during that. I, I highly recommend it. Well, uh, I feel a little discombobulated. We haven't done this This week format. on Breaking Badness goes to the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I want to talk about movies so badly. And we will. I mean, and I mean, we will. I'll, fi- I'll figure out a way to shoehorn it in. But, um, yeah, we haven't done this uh, this format in a while. We came back from RSA and we've had some really great um, interviews that we've been sharing with people, um, you know, from that. So it's like, you know, we're getting back to, uh, settling back into our routine. I mean, I, I do have another, uh, another one that I'm releasing next week, which I think will be really fun. Uh, very Those domain. RSA interviews are awesome, by the way. I mean, yes, here we are self-promoting the podcast, but if you all haven't listened to the ones that Callie did at RSA, do yourself a favor and go back and check them out. They are great. I appreciate that because it it sounds um, arrogant if I say it. Like the ones I did are so great. Like, 
So, um, but yeah, they're really fun conversations. Um, and I'm really, I, I, I just can't say it enough. It's fun to meet people in person. Um, and, and I hope we, we can do that again, uh, at Black Hat, but, uh, yeah, let's get, let's get into it. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Um, so the first article we're going to talk about is, uh, from Wired, uh, which, which I have named keep it on the dot DLL, which is, uh, and the article is, uh, talking about new details, um, of the boldest supply chain attack to date, uh, which is the solar winds investigation. Um, so my first question for, for both of you, Ian and Tim, do you remember where you were during the solar winds attack? Oh, what this a good is a question. It's like, uh, the only where were, vaguely. Where were you when JFK was shot, both of you? Possibly a gleam <laughs> in the parents' eyes, but no, my parents had not met then, so I wasn't a gleam in anybody's eye when uh, on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Me, yeah, I was. Uh, no, my parents were probably in elementary school. I was out there, man, in the ether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were a good uh-huh. idea. That fruition. <laughs> Thank you. Now she's still a good idea. Let's not cut her short just because we know her. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Just just not realized at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of solar winds, if I remember right, it popped December 2020. And I was sitting in San Mateo, California, so the the heart of Silicon Valley. We had just gone through this uh, absolutely horrific wildfire season where, like, the skies were orange for weeks at a time. And uh, that was surreal in itself. And we were uh, I was just sort of recovering from that at that point, if I remember right, and just trying to get back into reality. And then this huge, massive supply chain attack hits. What a way to come back into reality. Yeah, absolutely. What, what about you, Tim? Do you remember? Well, I, I remember realizing that uh, we had fodder for Breaking Badness for, <laughs> for potentially a long time to come. <laughs> Not to mention, you know, multiple Joe Slowick blogs. Like, as soon as I saw the story, I was like, all right, Slowick's going to have some great stuff on this. And he did not disappoint, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, you you, re, you resurfaced those for me. I'm going to resurface them on the show notes as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Folks <laughs> should check those out. But uh, I what we're going to talk about, um, what Ian's going to talk about in a second is is re- a really great article too, um, but uh, I had been you know I had had I've never used Solar Winds but I certainly had some familiarity with it from my uh, firewall days, and so um, it was like the impact was very evident as soon as I started reading about it, and uh, yeah, so here we are. Two and a half years later, and uh, we're still talking about it, which is not surprising to me. And it does not seem like we're beating a dead horse at all. I remember watching, um, especially Ben April and I think Joe Sainte-Save working on the domain generation algorithm stuff and using passive DNS to enumerate how many affected organizations there were and just seeing the list that they pulled up and, you know, my stomach sinking into the floor. Yeah, that was a really interesting part of the story. And and Joe Slowick's blogs, as I'm sure ones from uh, Ben and or Joe Sensive, um did a great job of showing folks how that worked. So if you're not familiar with that aspect of it, as Callie mentioned, there will be links in the show notes and check it out. Yeah. So maybe um, just backing it up just a little bit. Uh, because there may be some people who are not aware, Ian, but, you know, just for everyone's edification, uh, you know, what, what is SolarWinds? So SolarWinds is a massive IT software company with a bunch of network and systems and infrastructure solutions. Uh, in this particular case, we're talking about their Orion platform, which does network and resource monitoring, as well as some virtualization and other functions. 
perfect. Thank you. So, um, to so get, just minor stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing sensitive, right? right? Well, I guess we're about to find out. Thanks, Ian. So, um, just to get into the uh, the article. So, uh, you know, as I'm reading it, Mandiant uh, released a statement saying they had been they had been breached, but couldn't yet prove how intruders got in. So, my my question is: so why why release a statement without that information? It just feels like it's a kind of a critical component to to leave out when, when you don't have it. I think uh, Mandian did the right thing in ringing the alarm bell to let uh, the, both the industry and their customers know something big was in progress. Um, there are so many unknowns in that situation, especially when you're just starting out in the investigation. And if you release wrong information... It's almost as bad as not releasing uh, or can even be worse than not releasing in-depth information. That trust component gets lost. And if you wait, and sometimes companies have waited months or years, you're sending the message that you don't care what these attackers may be doing in other networks, perhaps as a follow-on effect of uh, Mandiant being hacked even. So I think Mandiant uh, got what information was at hand and verifiable organized it, and then rang the bell so that other organizations could adjust their posture and check their own backyard. Yeah, I think they did a good job with that. And I don't envy anybody that's in this situation trying to find that balance between having enough information to put out a meaningful statement as opposed to just sort of an empty holding statement and um, balancing that with not getting anything wrong, especially anything that's really germane to other folks that might be affected. So, you know, they're they're really good at what they do. And this is they've helped countless companies do exactly this. So they did have some practice at it. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think just, you know, for, you know, my, you know, as I'm coming along and, you know, my education in cybersecurity is increasing when when a company like Mandiant puts out a release like this, is it, or yeah, just any company like this, is it more for other practitioners or is it for the general public or is or both? Like, who who is the audience that they're speaking to? You know, when you don't when you don't have all of the information um, readily available, you know, who is the audience that's the most pertinent to reach? It- at the end of the day, it's always the shareholders. Um, we, we can say other uh, other things and um, talk good about community stuff, but at the end of the day, the responsibility for any corporate action and especially communication will come back to the, um, the health and well-being of the shareholders. So that's who it was uh, eventually aimed at. But there's a, a trickle-down effect, and I think it goes back to that trust component in that if Mandiant loses significant trust, then uh, like any other security company, they're kind of done in the business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Ian. Um, so when SolarWinds was looped into the story by Mandiant, one of, the, one of their initial tasks was to collect data and logs to reveal potential hacker activity, but logs that they needed didn't exist because they didn't track everything. Do, do you think that's due to a resourcing issue or a fundamentals issue? I think it can be both. Um, it can also be a product of a few other processes, uh, like uh, you see in the M&A world sometimes uh, wide sweeping acquisitions without proper resourcing to integrate them uh, end up leaving massive legacy holes in the security posture, the um, attack surface. A lot of organizations have this issue, and I'm not going to claim we're immune from it either. Um, I think it's important to make the effort to identify your unknowns and work through them progressively, especially if you're in a position like SolarWinds, uh, you know, a possible and eventual vector for massive malware to incredibly important institutions. I think you have to balance between understanding that uh, 
the fundamentals aren't always going to be served by everyone equally, and also that the bell will eventually toll for just about everyone. So you have to have to have a, a balanced perspective in mind. And a big a big element to this story is that we now know a former Solar Winds employee raised the concern of a vulnerability in 2017. But do we? How do we know that claim is accurate? Uh, the 2017 claim appears to be more general than the specific Orion vulnerability, and more in the way of Solar Winds lack security makes a breach inevitable. You'll hear it in about every organization under the sun, usually from an irredeemable curmudgeon like me. Um, often that's true because breaches are all but inevitable for most companies. SolarWinds could have done a lot of things better, and they should have done a lot of things better given its client list. But we need to be careful about preaching from our unhackable ivory towers. The important aspect here is really to learn and adapt as we move forward. Just a quick side note. I don't think you're a curmudgeon, Ian. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Tim? I, oh, oh, I think he is, but I love curmudgeons. You yeah. think he's a curmudgeon? I oh, don't know. I think curmudgeons are just a vital part of the ecosystem. We couldn't, we couldn't do it without them. So I think, uh, and some of my absolute favorite and dearest people across my entire life have definitely been curmudgeons. So I'm a fan. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. I, I just, uh, I, I feel like I don't get that side of you, Ian. Well, I haven't had to aim that uh, that part of my personality at you, Callie. It's just because you're too awesome. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, I, I can definitely be a, a very active and uh, uh, disgruntled curmudgeon from time to time. And that's fine. I mean, like Tim said, like some of my favorite people are curmudgeons. My father is a curmudgeon. <laughs> I can say that. I don't know. He should be listening to this podcast to support his daughter, but I don't know if he will. And, uh, <laughs> and like Ian, uh, I can say that um, many of those, well, all of those curmudgeons that I list as favorite people in my life have hearts of gold. Under oh, all that yeah. curmudgeonliness, I bet that applies to your dad too. Oh uh, yeah, okay. it it. it does. I almost called you Fencil. Yeah, Fencil. That's probably your dad too. <laughs> yeah, Fencil. Are you? You? I. I love it when people use like last names, like they're like a gym coach. Like move along, my, Fencil. My wife uses my last name all the time. Really? That, that's that's what she's called me since she, we were first dating. I don't know why. She, she just like calls you Helming. Yeah. She's if like she calls I, me Tim. I know I'm in trouble. I take you. Helming to be my law. Yeah, I, you know, I don't. You're right. I don't think she put that in the vows themselves, which is odd now that I think about it. But yeah, that's so that goes on right inside the house here. But yeah, the curmudgeon with a heart of gold, probably the best archetype out there. As we draw it back to movies, see, I told you, I told you I would shoehorn it in. Anyway. Ian, uh, can you talk a little bit about the one element of the that the investigators found um, on the virtual machine in their investigation? I think this was uh, a pretty interesting component of uh, of Kim Zetter's article. Yeah, sometimes things just work out, and this just worked out for the investigators. Um, the virtual machine in in contention here was essentially an artifact of the application build process that failed at the time. And it contained a particular uh, malicious file, a malicious DLL that uh, backdoored Orion once it was compiled into the code. It gave the investigators a possible starting date of the wider compromise and the mechanisms by which the bad actors worked, or at least some of them. So reverse engineering, it shed a whole lot more light on the investigation. Um, there's some talk in the article about, um, you know, some people saying they, they would have had nothing without it. I, I'm not sure about that, but it sure as heck provided a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you about this, because um, like they did really lean on that verbiage of, you know, without this, you know, we'd be, you know, we might be nowhere. But can you can you uh, elaborate what you mean by what you say 
about, you know, it's not the only piece of the puzzle that they needed? I think, uh, in essence, what, what we're talking about is the findability of the behavior in question. And in a lot of cases, you'll always have multiple straws to grasp at. You'll have multiple threads to start pulling on. Um, this just happened to be an incredibly th- uh, fruitful thread. There would have been others that might have led them to some of the same information, but this happened to be a gold mine. Absolutely. Um, and as I'm formulating my questions uh, as the article goes along, so so at this point in the article, uh, the most shocking revelation was uh, someone from the FBI mentioned that they pointed out road, rogue traffic to SolarWinds um, six months before anybody else, and it was brushed off as no big deal. Um, how do you imagine that justification was made of, you know, I, d- I don't have to look into this anymore, or, you know, it's, you know, I don't have to. Um, and, and how can agencies better share this information? I cannot even with this. I, I, it, you can't even. I'm, I, I'm completely gobsmacked. Six months before the situation blew up in public, the Department of Justice detected suspicious network activity and traced it back to a SolarWinds Orion server they had been trialing. DOJ contacted SolarWinds, who seemed to have shrugged and responded with, well, we can't find a vulnerability in our software. It looks like the matter was dropped from what I saw, that communication about it just fell off without resolution. Um, Apparently, DOJ purchased Orion without resolving that, which is even more amazing. There are probably some implementation goals and pressures involved here. Someone's KPIs would have been affected by not launching software in a certain time period or something. The Orion trial was probably easier to just push into production. But the Department of Justice, of all places, doing that without resolving where the malicious traffic originated was and is still amazing to me. And I might be being naive there, but I, I, I still can't even. Can you even, Tim, after hearing some of this? You know, I'm going to bring my... I'm going to bring my wife back into the podcast, so to speak, here, uh, because she wants me to make her a T-shirt that says, I period, just period, can't period. And um, no, I'm I'm with Ian on this. I find that fairly staggering and disturbing, like that they would kind of go, well, it's probably fine. Um, (laughs) And. Obviously, that raises the question, what else have they taken that approach toward that we don't know about yet? Yes, it'll be, I'm sure, and, you know, like you said, uh, we, we keep talking about it, but we're not, we're not beating a dead horse at all. So maybe more will come out. We can talk about it again on the podcast. Please, uh, no more. Please. <laughs> I, I've had my fill. <laughs> we'll have you back, Ian. And, the, and then I'll see how curmudgeon you really can be. Um, but I guess the opposite of being a curmudgeon, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not quite the opposite. I'm just trying to do a, a transition here, maybe poorly. But a word that stuck out to me uh, in this article, you know, regarding the adversary was the word patient. They are a patient, well-resourced, focused adversary is the line. Um, so what does it say about those in the InfoSec community if we don't take the time for fundamentals like logging when these groups are able to, you know, play the long game and, and really strategize? Our old friend Lao Tzu from the Tao Te Ching illustrated the value of patience in a very, very relevant way to us in cybersecurity. He conceived of searching for something in muddy water. Action for action's sake is the wrong move there. It just kicks up more sediment and makes uh, everything harder. The right action there is to be patient, let the mud settle so that the water's clear. It's a heck of an analogy for uh, as far as information attacks go. 
Sometimes the chaos can work with you, but in more sensitive scenarios, patience is your ally, letting the mud settle before you pivot internally. Patience is a scary weapon. I love that. That's a great way to put it. Oh, go ahead, This just highlights another of the uh, asymmetries between attackers and defenders, unfortunately, because um, once something happens, of course, we on the defender side rarely have the luxury of at least very much patience. Um, But uh, so that's that's really frustrating to think about, but um, there are certain realities there. Absolutely. Um, This might be my final question, Ian. Um, Do you think the timing of the pandemic was a benefit to the attackers in this instance, you know, given the, the move to work from home? Like, do you think they could cause more damage than initially anticipated, you know, while they're, you know, creating this very patient, well-thought-out strategy? I think the timing was incidental, uh, since the initial backdooring appears to have happened in late February 2020, before most of us were really aware of what was coming. But it definitely worked to the attacker's advantage. Uh, Going back to the mud analogy, so many workplaces going remote contributed to environments that were harder to protect because of all the novel routing, all the new services, among other things. So uh, it it definitely helped the attackers in that they were able to use that uh, lack of visibility to create uh, and uh, execute more effective attacks. Unfortunately, if you're an attacker and you're betting on the um, on a lack of visibility among your victims, you're going to win that bet uh, depressingly often. Mm. Well, yeah, that's that's upsetting. But um, yeah, thank thank you so much, Ian, for for going through uh, this article with us. I want to make sure we have time to uh, talk about our next article. But before we do that, let's uh, let's talk about our hoodie ratings. So we haven't done this in a little bit on the on the podcast. So just as a reminder, uh, after we talk about our articles, we go through um, and assign a hoodie rating from one to 10, 10 being, you know, very awful, possibly apocalyptic, uh, and one being, uh, that's not so bad. So, uh, and we use the hoodie analogy. Uh, so you can picture a hacker in a hoodie uh, in a dark room, Uh, doing their nefarious deeds. So uh, Tim, having heard, uh, you know, what what Ian has been saying and and going through the article yourself, what what would you assign the hoodie rating for for this particular story? Oh, this is right up there. I mean, I guess in any endeavor, one has to be careful about saying it can't get worse than this. History has shown us that it can, and it will. So I can't give it 10 hoodies, I guess, uh, but I'm going to make it like 9.8. Nine hoodies and a hoodie-like sweatshirt that just doesn't have the hood on it. Ooh, just a sweatshirt. I think that's what it's called. A sweatshirt that's meant to have, that looks wrong without a hood. But yes, oh, maybe there's so it like still a, has a, the drawstring. Yeah, it has the drawstring somehow magically floating in the ether there, so you know that there is a hood that's missing. <laughs> it's like this. That's what this, the point eight of a hoodie is. It wants to be a hoodie, maybe when it grows up. But okay, that's that's pretty intense. I don't really remember the last time the hoodie rating has been quite so high. Ian, what would you say? I'm going to flip Tim's rating, and I'm going to give it an 8.9. Okay. Uh, It was incredibly sophisticated, and as we talked about, the attackers were incredibly patient and skilled. However, some of the aspects of the attack were immediately traceable, and that led to uh, a much faster response than uh, if they had obfuscated it in other ways. So, like, the the uh, 
domain uh, generation algorithm that uh, was pretty uh, identified pretty early on and allowed everybody to track it pretty much as soon as it went public that that lost them a, a at least a mini hoodie um, so uh, nothing's perfect this was incredibly devastating but uh, uh, I'm not gonna give it a nine quite yet you're not gonna give it the satisfaction <laughs> I think part of why I I have it so high is that I I think we still haven't actually seen all of the repercussions from it. Um, I don't know that we're going to see anything like earth shaking as an additional revelation. Um, but you know, have there been companies, for example, that were compromised during that and uh, for whom? the adversary now has a foothold that they don't know about because of some of that same patience on the adversary side and some of that same lack of visibility that we've been talking about. So I think the, I think the last chapter isn't written on it yet, but you make good points there, Ian. Yeah. Sorry, Ian. The last chapter hasn't been written yet. (laughs) Now I'm just, now I'm just baiting you. That's okay. I, okay. I deserve it. I deserve it. It, it. it also feeds well into the whole curmudgeon thing. Yeah. So. I was now just, just about being, to say that. Yeah. I know. Now I'm just like, oh, okay. Now I'm just being like an annoying little sister. But I am an annoying little sister. So it's what I it's what I do best. Um, all right. So let's let's switch gears. And Tim, we are going to talk about our next article, which is better regulate than never. Um, which is a title I am overly proud of. Um, And and what we're going to be talking about is um, politicians and companies alike agree that AI should be regulated, but does that mean lax rules are forthcoming? So, so Tim, this is a very different... So this article is talking about the the AI uh, hearings, uh, you know, at uh, Capitol Hill. And this is very different than the hearings that, you know, you know, were covered, you know, regarding like the TikTok hearings not that long ago. And I honestly haven't seen a lot of headlines about the AI hearings. Have you? Well, so uh, first of all, I'll give my disclaimer. All of my responses for this section were written by ChatGPT. No, actually, that's not true. I have seen a bunch of headlines about it, but they are from InfoSec nerd type sources that I like to consume and not from mainstream media. Uh, so so. I, I was about to say, uh, I was about to admit my, my nerdery and that I watched the entirety of the hearings. Oh, this is, yeah, this, that is, well, feel free to chime in here as we talk about it. Um, but, you know, I'm certain that this is not the end of any of these hearings um, on this topic. I mean, this stuff is going to be talked about in various aspects for the remainder of human history. Uh, I don't think that's, I mean, unless we, you know, get bombed back to uh, agrarian times, which I suppose could happen. Um, And uh, folks are going to look back on these as a bellwether, not just for what happens with AI regulation, but maybe as a, Another example of kind of the climate of regulation in the United States, which, um, oh, I could say don't get me started, but this might get me started. Let's get started. (laughs) Reading the first paragraph of the article, you think, okay, we're all on board with regulating AI, including the CEO of OpenAI, which, you know, is the creator of ChatGPT. But experts are concerned that that friendliness may be an illusion, but I guess that that leads to the question of like, does friendliness mean lax regulations? Yeah, I'm going to let you all in on a, on a little secret. The regulations in this country tend to be written by the regulated. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah, isn't that mind blown? Right? They There's don't write that. that. In school, in school books, <laughs> uh, we are in. Remind an me, I, I've got a lobbyist uh, story for you. After I'll tell you. 
Oh, God. Is it just going to make me, like, lose my appetite? Because lunchtime is coming up here. Um, But, yeah, we're we're in an environment here in these United States uh, of general friendliness toward large corporations. And, you know, traditionally in the United States, when I was growing up, um, you'd say, well, when the Democrats are in control of the White House and the Senate, you'd expect to see more regulation than when Republicans are. And I suppose maybe that's still sort of true. But over the last few years, what's been evident, I think, to everybody that's paying attention to this is that D.C. just doesn't have much of an appetite for regulation at all of the largest industries and enterprises. Are there no regulations? Of course not. But um but nobody's enthusiastic about them except, you know, Bernie Sanders and a couple other um, folks. So um, not enough of them to win votes in uh, the Senate or, or the House. So um, while I would, you know, hardly call myself an expert, I'm also concerned about that level of friendliness. I mean, um, I forget that. Uh, let me find it just real quick. The quote um, you know, Dick Durbin said, uh, I can't recall when we've had people representing large corporations or private sector entities come before us and plead with us to regulate them. No, they just do that in the background. Yeah. So maybe they don't haven't done it quite so publicly, but uh, make no mistake, large corporations that are potentially subject to regulations have a huge hand in writing those regulations. Um, and sometimes literally like word for word, that's what becomes law. So that's thing number one. Uh, We are not very regulation friendly um, right now in this climate. But then thing number two, we're this country that collectively doesn't seem very interested in supporting a very large social safety net. Now, you may be asking, what the heck does that have to do with what we're talking about here with AI? Well, some of the more dire forecasts about where this is all going suggest that there are going to be major hits on employment for certain categories of workers. Um, there may be some evidence that that's already happening uh, with various kinds of jobs being replaced. Um, and we're also not doing a very good job in our country right now overall with public education. And there are huge implications here, not just with setting up students to earn a healthy living in the coming decades, but maybe more immediately, even helping public educational institutions deal with large language models and the technology that stem from those and the ability for, you know, every high school student now to write a, or quote, write a sometimes fairly well-reasoned essay um, by typing a prompt into uh, one of these large language models. So, um, so it's, There are a lot of potential implications here, and, um, well, you can tell how I feel about our likelihood of meeting the moment right now. Yeah, what you're saying really feels like it's hitting home with the the writer's strike uh, currently, which uh, there's that fear of uh, AI taking over writing jobs, which, you know, we can, we'll probably be talking about that uh, shortly, but... uh, you know, Ben April, the, the CTO of Maltigo and former domain tools, domain tooler. Is that what we want to call former DTers? DTer is probably better. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he, w- he was really passionate about talking about the pros and cons of, uh, of AI on, on the mini series. Um, and he mentioned the ramifications regarding copyright law and how it will, you know, have to be determined and written in so many jurisdictions. Um, does that logic alone impact how this is this will be regulated? Well, first of all, any logic put forth by Ben April is worth listening to because the man knows what he's talking about um, <laughs> on a myriad of subjects. Um, but I will say, so while these technologies like large language models and AI in other applications are not necessarily internet specific. So the internet is the delivery vehicle, right? But um, anyway, the challenges of jurisdiction are really thorny. So, you know, malicious online activity can be perpetrated by an actor who's sitting in Iran using hosting that's in the Netherlands, targeting victims that are in the United States. What's the jurisdiction of standing there? Well, works that are created by AI might not be quite as geographically distributed as that example that I 
that I gave, but you know, somebody who's in a country, uh, country A creates a work, uh, using technology that is owned by somebody in country B in one of those countries, uh, AI cannot be copyrighted in the other. They can, who has jurisdiction. So I think it's going to be problematic. Um, and by the way, and this is something that I think that uh, we mentioned on this very podcast in an earlier episode, I was honestly a little bit surprised about that ruling that AI works can't be copyrighted. Why am I surprised? Because I think it doesn't make sense. No, I think it it does make a lot of sense. But I think if I were a massive corporation that could potentially reap massive profits from works created by AI that my company developed, well, I might feel inclined to appeal that uh, ruling to my corporation-friendly politicians and possibly the also maybe corporation-friendly Supreme Court if it came to that. So, um, so yeah, I think there are going to be really interesting jurisdictional challenges and sep- sep- setting aside the jurisdictional boundary question, uh, the copyright question all by itself is going to be really interesting. I, the, that's another thing where the last chapter is not written. I'm quite confident. Oh yeah. We're, we're going to be talking about this for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, talking about, you know, different jurisdictions, this article mentions the forthcoming AI Act from the European U- European Union. Um, do we, you know, what, what information do we, do we have about that currently? It won't apply to Britain. Uh, <laughs> next question. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So what I currently know about that is I sure wish that we had a more European attitude about these things. So that level of glad handing between the regulators and the regulated is something I already talked about. Very disturbing. So what's the EU doing about this? Well, this is a relatively broad proposed regulation that's trying to set up a legal framework for the development, deployment, and use of AI systems in the European Union. Uh, They are aiming for transparency, responsible development and use of these technologies. Uh, This thing lays out the categories of systems that it aims to regulate, like think about transportation systems like self-driving cars, biometrics, education, employment, marketing, law enforcement, social scoring. Now, there's a dystopian concept for you and others. And what it, they're trying to classify AI systems and the contexts in which those things are operating in terms of risk, higher risk versus lower risk areas. Um, it proposes compliance frameworks for the safe production and integration of these systems, accountability and monitoring of the entities that are bringing AI into our lives. And it establishes a European Artificial Intelligence Board, which will be responsible for overseeing the implementation and enforcement of the regulation across the EU. So they've taken a pretty big step here with this proposal. You know, we'll see what ultimately becomes law, but I'm confident that there's going to be some regulation with some teeth in it. Yeah, that those are the things that I want for us, is everything you just said. Um, I mean, this this is so hard, right? Because when you're talking about regulation of resource extraction, sure, there are technologies that are going to change how that's done. But the fundamentals of what it involves are fairly well known. Where AI is going to go in the next several years are really hard to predict. And Uh, So I don't envy folks trying to come up with sensible regulation for it, but um, but it's a it's a tough job. I think what they're proposing here is a good way to start. And there's some admission in it. I think that there are a lot of unknowns here. Mm -hmm, For sure. So one concerning element uh, from this article uh, that I saw, I mean, there's. You, you mentioned a number of other concerning elements, but um, so the OpenAI CEO, Sam Altman, did quietly say that licenses uh, should apply to future systems, uh, which seems a little suspect or, you know, as the kids are saying these days, it seems a little sus. Uh, 
I don't think I'm allowed to say that phrase. You know, yeah, but you just acknowledge that it's what the kids yeah. are saying. So yeah, okay. what's the kids are saying? Um, and I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to, you know, increase our our demographic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so we're walking away from this hearing with with what at this point? What what happens from here with knowing that? You know, it was overly friendly uh, to, to the point of maybe it's a little creepy. Uh, and, um, you know, knowing, you know, what you what you had mentioned to him about, you know, reg, the regulations come from the people being regulated. So 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 now what? Well, to, to back up to a point that you made just a second ago, can it be said that Breaking Badness has stands? Yeah, we have stands. We got to find out if we have stands. I think we have stands because you know what? I think the show slaps. It slaps and it's fire. Yeah. So, oh so there, we've, we've established that. All right. So I'm just going to distance myself from the current uh, <laughs> Ian Heat. <laughs> Disco stews back and away. Oh, my God. All right. So what we've seen here, it was just an opening act. I mean, I'd call it probably more of a prelude than being act one. No surprises in the way that Altman put that, but... And now you may be a little surprised to hear what I'm going to say, given my overall Eeyore leanings about all of this. I think there's some legitimacy to what he's saying insofar as large language models that are getting all the attention right now are not themselves. They're not the AI that's going to become self-aware and kill us. Um, now, on the other hand, AI is already killing us. Um, think about autonomous car crashes. Uh, think about the Clearview AI misidentifying people and law enforcement going in. Uh, arresting people they shouldn't. And if you happen to be a black person in the U.S. critical criminal justice system right now, your outcomes are not great, uh, unfortunately. So anyway, uh, this is where the EU approach makes a lot of sense, looking at these various categories of AR and of AI and where they are applied. And so on the face of it, what Altman's saying Concerning this specific set of technologies right now, he may not be, that may not be as terrible a statement as it kind of sounds like, but um, that doesn't mean that I feel bullish about what's going on for sure. Absolutely. And again, this is one, this is going to be one of those things where we'll, we'll probably talk about this in a few months. Uh, this will keep unfolding. I've actually asked Ben April to, you know, we should talk about this again in six months, probably, because there will be more for more for him to comment on. So, again, just putting it out there on the podcast that he's committed to that verbally. <laughs> <laughs> There's accountability. But, uh, I know. I know. I, I got to keep people accountable here. Um, but OK, so so as we're wrapping this up, what? I, it's so hard to say what what the hoodie rating should be for for something like this that you know we didn't really leave with anything necessarily concrete uh it is a prelude but ian i'll, I'll start with you this time what what are you thinking hoodie wise well i i tell you what i'm gonna get up on my soapbox here i hope you do that and never has story tell from my soapbox because we, we've talked a little bit about uh, a previous job of mine, which was in the House of Representatives. I was a system administrator, which meant I was in and out of offices all day, every day. Um, so I saw a lot, and it was, it, it was incredibly interesting. And as I alluded to earlier, I have a lobbyist story, and it sticks with me. I, uh, I, I was in the, uh, the office of a representative who was very important in current healthcare legislation and uh, uh, meeting with a lobbyist. And uh, later that morning, I was down in the cafeteria. And same lobbyist was down there with the other lobbyists. They were like a little flock of crows. And uh, the main lobbyist from the group walked up to the vending machine, started jamming her credit card into the bill uh, acceptor, and complaining that the machine didn't work. Now, if that doesn't uh, encapsulate lobbying for anybody else, I don't know. But that's about the best representation I could ever imagine. And it's there, the ladies and gentlemen, their a profile card. of who's writing our laws. 
<laughs> and and I say all that to say this because I'm going to do something controversial. Okay. I'm going to give this a hoodie rating above Solar Winds. I'm going to give this a 9.0. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Because what got hacked here and what gets hacked every day is our regulatory process and our legislative process. This, is, this conversation is timely because uh, security legend Bruce Schneier just came out with a book that I just started, so I can't really speak to it intelligently yet. But Bruce Schneier just came out with a, a book called A Hacker's Mind. And the subtitle of the book is How the Powerful Bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. So it, it, it's not, not just me on the soapbox, which I appreciate. But, yeah, I'd say this is a 9.0 for the amount of uh, impact that it has on everybody in terms of that regulatory hack and regulatory capture. Whoa. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Tim. I'm just going to keep the pattern going of being more alarmist than Ian. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was like, are you are you, you going to reverse it? Are you going to reverse this one and say zero point no. nine? No, it, this this scares the crap out of me. I mean, and it also outrages me. Um, it is Ian's exactly right, and yeah. couple that with the very significant unknowns uh, ahead of us for this technology. Um, you know, is this going to wipe us out? I don't know. But the fact that there's no way, you know, I don't hear anybody out there credibly saying there's no chance that AI poses an existential threat. Nobody's saying that. And if they are, I don't think anybody's taking them seriously. Uh, Are there people who are overdoing the alarmism? Yeah, I guess maybe. But this is the combination of the unknowns with the technology and the knowns with our broken regulatory system system is in quotes regulatory is in quotes it's all in quotes it's quotes all the way down um nine point i i'm gonna do the same as actually no this is this is worse than solar winds nine point nine five three repeating oh oh boy well now what where do we go <laughs> from optimists today? Huh? Uh, Are the movies we're going to be talking about a year from now going to have been generated by AI? Quite possibly. They might even it, be good. That's the problem. You know, they might they might be good. Hey, I'm I'm, I'm sticking with the the picket line. If the writer strike is still going on and AI stuff starts getting pumped out, the AI stuff can just stay on the shelf. Somebody had a yeah, good. No, I, I'm with you, Ian. I absolutely as a as a consumer of it, I 100 percent. I agree. Somebody had a great picket sign, though, that said um, for the writer's strike that um, AI doesn't have childhood trauma. So what, what, what are your thoughts about that? Like you can't put your if it doesn't have childhood trauma to write about. When we consider who's striking, there better be some really good picket signs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can. I guarantee. I promise you. I'm, I'm on it. I've seen all the good picket signs. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm not. I will admit I am not quite sure how to how to transition into our game <laughs> after. It's been it's been a heavier episode of uh, of Breaking Badness where I'm not. I don't think I've been on an episode where both stories. Um, we're quite so high. Um, and now I just kind of want to call my mom and uh, <laughs> just, you know, want to drive over, get, like, just get a hug is get how I'm hug, feeling a, right have now. Have a nice yeah. cup of tea and a couple of cookies. Yeah. And watch, so, watch Bob Ross. Ooh, that's nice. I would do that. Um, yeah. But I mean, I guess uh, someone's someone's got to steer the ship. It, but I guess it should be me. Um well, we will uh, play our, our game now, um, which is gold guidance and grievances. I've I've told I think I've told you both I like this game. It feels like um, the uh, infosec equivalent of like what's in your purse in a in a fashion magazine. 
So um, again, trying to trying to uh, engage a different demographic, maybe <laughs> unsuccessfully. But let's, I, I uh, actually I I love that analogy. Yeah. Life hacker for a long time had this fantastic series called What's in Your Bag. Ooh. And it just showed the contents of uh, various people's, you know, regular gear bag or day bag or whatever. And I was obsessed with it. I like knowing what's in people's bags. So uh, anyway, so we, so Tim, you just uh, went and uh, shared your your article. So maybe we'll start with Ian. What are what are your gold guidance and grievances for the for this episode? All right. Uh, my gold uh, is going to be Wired Magazine. Uh, I I love them in my youth. I got a little worried about them uh, for a while as an adult, and I kind of lost touch with Wired. But I've circled back over the past year uh, and been loving their security coverage in particular, especially lately. Um, Obviously, today we, we featured a uh, an article by Kim Zetter that was a feature article in Wired. Uh, another recent one by Andy Greenberg last week on Turla, and again, Andy Greenberg last week on 3CX. They've got Lily Hay Newman on Ukraine hacking and Pentagon docs, Delcam and Drew Marotra, Andrew Coots, Matt Burgess. They've just been doing fantastic security uh uh, security reporting lately, so I, I pitched in and uh, uh, resubscribed to Wired for the first time in a long time, and I've been enjoying that coverage. I love that. That article by Kim was amazing, and uh, yeah, I I agree. They, um, I'll read anything that Andy Greenberg wrote about InfoSec. Uh, Andy's got a, a recent book out called Tracers in the Dark about. Uh, cryptocurrency and tracking cryptocurrency to catch criminals and it's uh, I, I finished it in like two days it was uh, just a fantastic book uh, all right so I will move on to my guidance which you'll probably hear regular from me if you ever work at domain tools which is update all the things update everything every device you have update it this week your Apple devices, your Microsoft devices, your Android devices. There's gnarly uh, vulnerabilities out there recently patched for just about everything. And you probably want to go and uh, install those patches sooner rather than later. So my guidance is update all the things. I have a grievance related to your guidance. Oh, excellent. If, if, you're, if your Microsoft stuff is has not been updated in a while, get ready to see ads all over the place in Windows. <laughs> I think we have the same grievance. Oh, is that actually your grievance? <laughs> it is. Oh, sorry, man. Carry on. It is. No, that's all right. I, I think we can be in concert uh, on this and still be authentic. Uh, my grievance is Microsoft for continual bad decisions shoving me into the arms of Apple. Uh, in this case, it's uh, what looks like a future build of Windows that went on into, into the preview lane that incorporates the possibility of ads in the Windows settings menu. No, thank you. Never. No. I, I don't know who's making these decisions between the ad stuff and the telemetry stuff, but I, I want Microsoft to be better, and I want viable alternatives. Hey, man, it could and be I'm the year of the Linux desktop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, no, I was looking at a Windows machine yesterday that had, I noticed in the, the little search bar down at the bottom, there were these icons. They weren't emojis. They were little little icons. And so I moused over them. And sure enough, it led to a whole bunch of articles. And um, I don't know if it was... I don't remember if they were ads specifically, but obviously they were they were pushing something commercial, and it was yeah, the, it was nauseating. The whole widget architecture that Windows 11 has been designed around is all that. It's all the force feeding of content and ads into the native Windows experience, and it sickens me. Hey, have either of you seen ads in your Gmail? Because I've been seeing all this, you know, now ads are in Gmail. I actually have not noticed that. So I don't, they must be doing a phased rollout or something. Have either of you seen that? Um, 
Like you, you mean like at the like on the side or because I used to get a lot of just regular ads that looked like emails that would well, say that's like spam. No, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm like, I know things, Tim. Um, I haven't <laughs> seen anything. I actually um, hated those um, like sponsored elements in in gmail that looked like they were emails but they said sponsored like really small so you you knew they were an ad and i i thought i successfully turned it off i think i did uh but i don't i don't like it but i haven't seen anything different than that i i gotta get the both of you on the ad block wagon oh maybe that's why i haven't seen it because i'm on yeah i've got a pretty decent ad blocker ad block ads yeah yeah, I I also I've moved away from Gmail. It's my personal email. Um, I I got to a point where my privacy started mattering more to me, and it mm-hmm. became clear that um, staying with Google services was uh, 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 hostile to that. So actually, I I moved to Proton Mail, and that uh, that experience has been pretty fantastic so far, because mm. I just with Gmail. Um, the amount of data that I was leaking and the amount of information about myself that I was leaking became untenable. Oh, wow. I was going to say, did you go to Hotmail? <laughs> oh, AOL Only mail. my sock accounts. <laughs> I don't... Uh, yeah. Uh, anywho. Uh, th- thank you so much, Ian. So, so you guys have the same grievance, but... Tim, what is your goal? Well, I'll give I'll give the grievance that I came up with, okay. you know, ahead of time. Um, oh, okay. in just a moment. So the gold, well, score one for the DOJ um, with charging uh, of Wazawaka, aka Mikhail Pavlovich Matiev uh, of Russia, um, who launched ransomware attacks against various U.S. targets, including police departments and hospitals, and. Uh, so they charge him with participating in conspiracies to deploy Lockbit and Babuk and Hive. So uh, this guy is a fairly big fish. Um, and, you know, are they going to just be able to throw him in jail? No, he's still in Russia. Um, but mm-hmm. they're putting 10 million bucks behind this in terms of a bounty for information about it. So uh, that's not chump change. Um, right. So good job by them on this. There's a lot more to go, but uh, but I thought that was really great. Um, yeah. Guidance. This, you've probably seen this, but just in case, update your Bitbucket uh, owing to a compromise that was not directly of Bitbucket, but a credential uh, management third party. Uh, they, have to, they have to update their keys. So if you use Bitbucket, please pay attention to that and uh, update your instance. I so, want to know who that third party was. Yeah, well, I, they, we'll find out. More I mean, had to have leaked. I think we know? have some guesses, right? But um, we'll we'll find out at one point. Oh, you'll another. find out. Oh, we'll find out. We certainly will. <laughs> yeah, right before a long weekend. Yeah, That's how we'll right. Find out. <laughs> Seriously, um, and my grievance is on the Montana ban of TikTok, which you may be a little surprised to hear me say. I am. Go on. Yeah. Well, this isn't the right way to handle this problem. I'm not a fan of TikTok in general. I don't use it. I I think I've obviously I see videos once in a while. My kids do send them to me. A lot of them are very funny. That's all great. Um, But Ian, do you remember? Well, either of you, do you remember? I've somebody... There was an article that recently we shared around internally at Domain Tools about somebody that expressed surprise at being surveilled by TikTok. I mean, come on. Everybody knows you're being surveilled by TikTok. That's what it is. So I'm no fan of that. Um, but I don't think, the first of all, this ban probably isn't going to succeed is my best guess. And... Secondly, it's a really ham-fisted way of going after this problem, which is a fairly thorny problem. So uh, they need to do better, and w- it remains to be seen, of course, what's 
going to ultimately happen with TikTok. I don't, what I don't see anybody saying is the Montana legislation is the vanguard that's going to be the model for larger legislation about this. I don't know if either of you sees anybody saying that. I don't, and I don't think that's going to happen. So uh, the Montana legislature has not impressed me recently for a number of reasons. Um, and this is just one of them. That don't impress yeah. you much? No. Uh, 100% agree with Tim, by the way, uh, Shania Twain notwithstanding. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I think Tim hit all the notes. Uh, It's a ham-fisted way of dealing with a problem that's not isolated to TikTok. And until we're ready to tackle the actual problem and the uh, um, underlying symptoms of it and the results of it that are in broader society, then there's no real... there's going to be no real impact other than a couple headlines in a newspaper that die with the next news cycle. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great to point out. Um, I will, yeah, I, I should take a look into that too. I, uh, I am a fan of TikTok. I don't post, I'm a lurker and I just like, it, you know, it is to me, uh, the things that I see on there, it's just like, I'm impressed by how funny people are. I'm a like, fan it gives... of the creators. There's <laughs> yeah, no it gives... question. I'm a fan oh, of the creators. Yeah. I'm just not a fan of the vehicle. I know. Yeah. And I'm just like, if you could, I, I don't know what the, the solution is. Cause I'm like, well, if you go somewhere else, just tell me and I'll go there. Uh, Cause it is like, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the human spirit. It, to, to be really weird and cliche about it, I yeah, guess. Let me clarify. I'm not a fan of all the creators because there's some horrific stuff going oh. around on TikTok also. But, oh, but yeah. yeah. You, you I mean, just... there's there's wonderful creativity out there and it can be really fun to see. But yeah. we need a different way of getting that yes. creative uh, output in people's hands. Agreed. But, and also, Tim, you need to be on my algorithm, which is a lot of dogs and a lot of lip syncing it's very remember bad know. lip reading that was hilarious that was good oh, that was excellent. yeah yep. absolutely oh my gosh well uh i know we we've we've talked for a while today uh gentlemen but i i really appreciate you know both of you taking the time to to talk about these these are very important stories that that we need to be talking about and and we will be continuing to you know, check in on these, you know, as, as the stories progress. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks for joining me today. I had a great time. Um, I still would like a hug. Um, <laughs> that's still needed. Uh, but, but yeah, we will, we will reconvene and talk more. Um, next week, uh, we will reverse a little bit. We'll cover the last little bit we had from RSA, which is, you know, um, a compilation of domain tools folks if you want to get to know us better as a team which is uh i think it'll be really fun uh but yeah think thanks so much guys uh and uh yeah have a great rest of your day is there anything else you want to sign off on a pleasure as always ian great to have you back on yeah yeah thank Thank you you, thank you all right talk soon have a great rest of your day everybody so long bye-bye That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at DomainTools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.